Welcome to the party, pal. The Michael Dukes Show. The greed and the entitlement is astounding to me. What more could you want from a low-budget radio program? This is a dumpster fire. That was just BS. It is time to get a new perspective. We know just what you need, and we've got just the cure. Open wide and prepare for a steaming hot cup of freedom. I just don't fathom it. The Michael Dukes Show, streaming live across the world. Live around the world on the interwebs at MichaelDukeShow.com. Hello and good morning. Welcome to the program. It is The Michael Dukes Show, also streaming live across the state of Alaska on this, your favorite radio station and or translator. And, uh, well, it is Tuesday. Good morning and welcome to the program. Got to tell you some interesting, interesting stuff uh, this morning coming about. And uh, I mean, just every day, the whole Chinese proverb of may you live in interesting times becomes more and more relevant. But um, it's 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 crazy. It's absolutely crazy. What's going on this morning? And uh, we're going to have. We're going to be discussing it. We're going to be talking about it. So good morning and uh, and welcome to the program. Happy solstice. Longest day of the year here. Officially the start of deep summer, right? I mean, this is this is it. This is it right here. Um, 24 hours of daylight up in the interior and not quite that many down in the uh, down in the south central region here in the Matsu or down on the peninsula but still beautiful day I mean it's already it's already the sun is already just shining brightly and oof man so nice uh, so nice out there so I hope you're uh, I hope you're all set to enjoy your solstice uh, your solstice day today um it's Tuesday which is uh you know we've got our we've got our normal take on things here this morning we have got a plethora a virtual planetoid of uh, of things that we can talk about um we're going to um we're we're going to keep uh we're going to keep uh keep rolling in our regular direction this morning we're going to be talking with Brad Keithley uh, from Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets. He is going to come on with us this morning and do the weekly solstice edition of the weekly top three. Um, we almost had a top four today because there is some, <laughs> there's some, boy, there's some, there's some interesting stuff going on. Um, but today we're going to talk about the weekly top three, which is going to include, um, Brad and I wrote an op-ed, um, for, uh, well, it's in the Anchorage Daily News, the News Miner, the Ketchikan uh, paper. Uh, it's been submitted to the Matsu and some others. And it's talking specifically about, um, you know, how the um, how the uh, the legislature, legislature, legislature and legislators have basically been throwing uh, middle and lower income Alaskan families under the bus um, because of their lack of political will to do anything substantive with the budgets as far as cutting them 
and then uh, their their appetite to just go ahead and pull the ripcord on the PFD and instead fund state government on the backs of the lowest income earners in the state. And it's got some interesting there's some it's it's garnered some interesting comments. Um, and uh, it uh, we'll we'll have that as a talking point this morning. Uh, to begin with. Then we're going to look at whether PFD cuts are really the only answer for state revenue. Uh, My answer is no, Um, just as a preview. My answer is no, that what I think we need to do is put enough people in there that have the political will to cut and and bring the government uh, budget down. Uh, Brad uh, would like that, but I can guarantee you that he's going to be talking about the alternative, which is taxation. So I know that's going to come up. And then finally, we're going to uh, have a breakdown of some of the issues for the statewide races, including the governor's concepts of K-12, what needs to be done, what they're looking for. Of course, the answer we know is always more muddy, more muddy. So uh, that should be interesting. Then finally, in hour two, not only will we have a segment of Open Line, Open Forum where we can talk about Anything that we want about, we'll also chat with Chris Story to get our weekly positivity boost. We'll do our life coaching lesson with Chris Story. So that's coming up uh, as well. <clears throat> so that's the full show for today. You ready to dive in? Are you ready to? I know some people in the chat room are already chomping at the bit to talk about this because, baby, I didn't see this coming. I did not see this coming late yesterday or i guess later yesterday um independent i'm putting that in air quotes independent candidate al gross announced that he was pulling out of not only the special primary election but that he was dropping his name from the regular election ballot, primary election ballot, and is throwing his support behind Mary Peltola, uh, another Democrat, and uh, Tara Sweeney, the Republican who was in fifth place. He has decided that he, uh, uh, really, he gave no reason for what's going on. Although there is some chittering and chattering. Uh, Interestingly enough, Suzanne Downing at Must Read Alaska uh, you gotta, you gotta admire this woman's chutzpah. Um, she says, and I'm going to quote from her article here: "The reason for Gross's sudden departure was unclear. Word is that former staffers from his 2020 campaign against Senator Dan Sullivan have turned on him and are providing material that could be used for blackmail." And then the following sentence is struck through. It's lined, it's crossed out, but you could still read it. Politicals say that the political operative, lawyer, and author of ballot measure number two, Scott Kendall, who is part of the team supporting uh, Sweeney, is behind the entire operation. Then it stops being struck out and it says, Kendall has threatened a lawsuit over this crossed-through statement unless it is retracted and an apology is issued. In the interest of the solvency of Must Read Alaska, an apology is issued and the statement is retracted. Oh, Suzanne. Oh, Suzanne. 
Following the letter of the law, if not the spirit. Um, so, yeah, so what the actual hell is going on? Uh, Gross had just been endorsed by the IBEW on Friday and had started raising uh, money. He had an aggressive uh, social media campaign going on uh, that was pointed really at Sarah Palin, calling her a quitter, which is now kind of ironic, right? I mean, and he was, I mean, he had photos going up on his website. He was at some meet and greet at a brewery this weekend. And um, it appears that uh, whatever happened, happened very quickly. I mean, like, very quickly. Now, here's the question. Can Tara Sweeney, because he said, in his comments, he said there are two outstanding Alaska Native women in this race who would both serve our state well, and I encourage my supporters to stay engaged and consider giving their first place vote to whichever of them best matches their own value. Um, thank you for your support. So he's endorsing, you know, Peltola and Sweeney is saying, you know, vote for one of them. But the Division of Elections um, was asked by the uh, AP if uh, a fifth-place finisher in the special primary could be bumped to fourth if Al Gross has withdrawn. They said, the division spokesperson said they're looking into this but not have an immediate answer. But Mustread points out that the plain language of ballot measure number two says that the fifth candidate can only be put in the final four if the withdrawal of one of the four happens within 64 days. Now, we're in day 58 or 57 of 56. We're, we're well underneath 64 days. So according to the plain language, which, again, I don't – I'm trying to wrap my brain around this. Now, again, uh, Scott Kendall was very much in favor. Not only did he author ballot measure number two, but he's been in favor of Tara Sweeney. And supporting her campaign and, you know, putting things like that. If he wanted her in the race, he would have to do it more than 64 days. Uh, so I'm confused. I mean, that, that, I'm confused as to exactly what happened um, with that. Like, I mean, if he, if he was pushing for Tara Sweeney, and wanted to get her on the ballot, then this would make sense if it was more than 64 days ahead of time. Uh, Because then she would sneak onto the ballot. But according to the plain reading of it, um, that is not possible. That's, that's not, it's not, it's not, it's not an option. That instead, <clears throat> I mean, yesterday was uh, Kevin in the chat room saying yesterday was the 57 days prior to the election. So you're already a week late because it had to be 64 days ahead of time. So what? I, I just don't even know. I mean, it's just it's so it, it appears and 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 uh, Gross made the statement and then has refused any interviews or discussions or anything else like this. I mean, he was the biggest, he was the biggest Democrat in the race. I mean, I know he said that he was, uh, 
independent and nonpartisan. I, you know, I, I promise. And then, but of course, then he said he would, uh, he, then he said he would caucus with the Democrats. So what is he on, on that? But I mean, he was the biggest deal in the race for the progressive side of the equation. Why all of a sudden did, and not just pulling out of the special primary, pulling out of the regular race as well. Oh, baby. I mean, this thing is just so. So it looks like we may just be voting for three people in the special primary election. It looks like it may be Palin and Baggage and Peltola, um, which, I mean, even looking at the raw numbers of, you know, if you even if you combined uh, Gross's and Peltola's numbers, there's not nearly enough to get a plural. I mean, there's just not nearly enough to overcome either one of them. If you look at the raw numbers, it's 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 pretty tough. I mean, she should. You know, Palin probably has a good chance of walking away with this in the special primary uh, and then the special general, I mean. Um, but I just don't know why. What is what is going on? I mean, my my brain hurts just thinking about this, trying to figure trying to figure out the ins and out. What is the end game? Isn't that sad that we're trying to figure out? I mean, somebody withdraws and you're like, oh, my God, what's the. What's the Machiavellian reasons behind the, but this is, this is what we've come to expect from Alaskan politics. Well, who am I kidding? From politics in general. I mean, this is what we've come to expect. But I have no more answers for you other than just wild speculation and kind of wide-eyed wondering as to what the heck is going on. Oh... Uh... We're going to talk a little bit about ballot exhaustion and things like that as well uh, sometime in the near future. But uh, th- there is a, I don't know, we're going to have to talk. We're going to talk about this. All right. We got uh, more coming up. Brad Keithley is going to be joining us here in a minute. We're going to talk with him about the weekly top three. Uh, I'm sure we'll probably have some kind of commentary on this uh, snafu as well. We will continue. The Michael Duke Show, common sense, liberty-based, free-thinking radio. Back with more right after this. If you missed the show, you can listen to it on your time with Dukes On Demand. Oh, and it's free, like America used to be. Streaming live every weekday morning on Facebook Live and MichaelDukesShow.com. Okay, Uh, in the break. Boy, I mean, this is a head-scratcher. This is a real head-scratcher going on. Um, In other news... Of speaking of people withdrawing from races, so far, uh, Tom Baggage and Peter Machicki, we knew about them, right? They had already announced. Chris Tuck had decided to pull out. Uh, interestingly, uh, Rick Castillo, who had been challenging Laddie Shaw, uh, also pulled out. And Jim Wright, who was challenging Kevin McCabe, 
they've all officially withdrawn from the uh, from the primary. Uh, independent Jennifer Sohn, who was the BLM Antifa candidate, independent candidate, uh, announced that she's going to withdraw and she's going to be endorsing independent Walter Featherly, but she is not officially withdrawn yet. So some interesting, interesting stuff. Yeah, I mean, the only thing that I can, uh, and I see some of you have made this comment in the chat room. Somebody said they must have some naked pictures. Um, that something from his past was about to come up and bite him. That's the only thing that, that's the only thing that I can think of that would cause such a rap. I mean, literally, they are posting pictures from a campaign event um, going on. You know, he gets the endorsement of the IBEW on Friday. They show him with a, at a campaign event on Saturday or Sunday, and then all of a sudden Monday, it's like poof, they pull the plug. There's just there's something going on there, something going on. I don't know what, but uh, speculate away. That's what we should do. We should speculate away. Uh, let's get uh, let's get Brad Keithley on the on the blower here, shall we? And uh, we'll see if we can uh, get him going on. Uh, yes, please send me to that page. Oh, whoa, 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 whoa. It said not available. Um, um, hmm. Hum, 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 hum. All right. Let me try this one more time. Uh, come on, launch that stuff. Uh, it definitely doesn't like me this morning. Um, well, um, let me just, uh, let me just send Brad a quick message here. Uh, all right. Well, I was going to try and get Brad Keithley on right away here, but for some reason, the whole, the zoom link is not, uh, is not working this morning. I don't know what's going on, but, uh, it's been working flawlessly for the last five or six weeks. And of course, um, you know, something has to, uh, something has to go wrong. So that's not unusual. Just about the time that everything is uh, good, everything, you know, comes completely unstuck. So, I don't know. Too much riding with Biden? Are you, I, oh, you're talking about Al Gross? Are you talking about me? I mean, because it could be me. Um, let's see. Uh, let's see here. Um, all right, there we go. So we may just have to do it over the regular old telephone this morning. All right. Um, yeah, did Brad, did Brad pull out of the race as well? Maybe Brad pulled out of the race. I don't know. It's, it's a good question. Um, we're, Brad's going to uh, be talking with us here in just a hot second. We're going to do it over the telephone instead of Zoom. I don't know what happened, but. Ain't got no time to kind of troubleshoot that stuff while we're live on the air, right? Paul says they found dirt on Al Gross. I mean, that's the only thing I can assume. I mean, it's there's a lot of assuming going on. They Somebody said it was for personal reasons. Well, if it's blackmail, 
or something very embarrassing? Yes, you're right. It would be very much for personal reasons. Um, good morning, Brad. Um, we're going to get to him in just a second. We're about to jump back into this. Hold on a second, Brad. We're going to be right back to you. The Michael Luke Show, common sense, liberty-based, free-thinking radio. Like and share the show. Here we go. Welcome back to the program. Tuesday. Tuesday. Um, that is the weekly top three. Now, normally we're joined uh, via live via Zoom or Skype or something, but I don't know. Technical stuff this morning. So we're doing it the old-fashioned way. Back in the day when Brad and I got started, we just used this thing called a telephone. And lo and behold, he's right here on the telephone with us. It's always a good backup. Good morning, Brad. How are you doing this morning, my friend? Michael, I'm doing okay, except for Zoom. I don't know what happened. Yeah, no, I don't know. The link uh, link just went to nowhere. Said it was it was all wrong and bad. So that's all good. Um, let's um, well, let's dive into this now, Brad. Before we get started here, I don't know if you want to comment at all on this. Uh, I don't know if you want to comment at all on this uh, Al Gross thing, but uh, wow, uh, didn't see that coming. I guess is the best thing that I can say at this point. Boy, I didn't either. Uh, I will only, I, I, all, all I've got to offer in addition to what you've been saying is one more complication, which is remember, uh, we can have write-ins in the, in the special regular <laughs> election. <laughs> uh, so now that we're through the primary and we've got, and whatever we've got, when we go to the, when we go to the, the regular ballot, uh, for the prime, for the special election in, uh, uh, in August, uh, we can have write-ins. So that may, that'll complicate it even further. If there's only three on the ballot, then you're going to have write-ins that will, that will, you know, somebody will try to be making the fourth and then you've got, you know, the, the second, third and fourth votes off the write-in vote. It, it, it has the potential to really, uh, become mind-boggling. Well, and again, remember who is the, uh, who is a huge fan of write-ins, of course, uh, you know, with Murkowski's writing campaign and everything else, we've seen this in the past. Uh, I was trying to figure out how this would benefit Sweeney, who Kendall supports. Maybe this becomes a, uh, a you know, a write-in campaign, uh, you know, trying to override the whole thing. I mean, what a hot freaking mess, man. <laughs> That's all I can say. A big steaming pile. That's exactly what this election has become. All right. Well, Brad, I want to uh, I want to get into this and I want to talk about the weekly top three. So we're going to start off. Um, no self promotion here, but hey, we we did a thing. Brad and I did a thing. Uh, well, let's 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 face it. Brad did more work on it than I did, but I did work on it. It's it's fine. Uh, an op ed piece that uh, has now been featured in papers across Alaska talking about. The legislature's failure um, in protecting the overall Alaska economy, in fact, failing the middle and lower income families more in protecting the top 20 percent. This opinion piece has garnered some interesting discussion uh, wherever it has come up. Um, and some people seem shocked, shocked, I tell you, that we would point this out, uh, Brad. <laughs> yeah, it. Um, I, I will say this. The, the comments in the ADN. Uh, were more mild than I've seen them in the past. Now they're moderating the comments, so that's probably 
that's probably uh, some of it. Uh, but there were good points, uh, you know, points that 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 they were raised that that need to be discussed um, uh, in the comments, and uh, and I think it's worthwhile to to talk about them. All right, well, let's dive into it. What caught your attention uh, the most? Because there are some there are some interesting ones in here, and some that are just flat out wrong. But uh, you know, what's your take? Well, the first one the first one that caught my attention was. Uh, uh, one comment said, don't tax me for your PFD. And if there's anything we did, uh, in the, uh, in the column, it was, it, it was point out that the, that the PFD doesn't come from either oil taxes or, or wouldn't come from, uh, personal income taxes it, or personal taxes of any sort. It comes from the permanent fund earnings. Uh, that's what, that's the statutory, uh, uh, genesis of the PFD, and it would continue to be the statutory, and it will continue to be the statutory genesis of the PFD. Taxes would be to pay for the portion of government uh, not covered by the other 50% uh, of the permanent fund earning stream that's going to pay for government. Right. Um, and, 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 and either oil taxes or uh, uh, an increase in oil taxes or some personal taxes uh, would be used for that. None of that would be used for the PFD. This is a, uh, it's sort of a Natasha deal where she's tried to obfuscate uh, what's going on with the PFD and try to confuse uh, the issue by saying, well, taxes would be to pay for your, your PFD. They're right. not. Taxes are to pay for government. The PFD is paid separately <laughs> well, this is, uh, from the permanent fund earnings. This is the this is not just Natasha, although she is one of the prime candidates of it. This is the this is the mantra of the powers that be and the business as usual club on why we can't have a PFD because you'd have to have taxes to pay for it. I mean, this is the perfect example of somebody who has bought that hook, line, and sinker and is just parroting it back to you. Oh yes, yeah, it's, it's the top. It's the top. It's one of the top twenty percent defense mechanisms. That you would you would tax me in order to pay a PFD to somebody else. Well, if if we don't tax you, if we cut the PFD instead, uh, what we're really doing is taxing middle and lower income Alaska families. We're taking money that are that's statutorily set aside for them um, from a from a source of wealth that nobody uh, has invested in free money essentially. We're taking their share, middle and lower income Alaska families' share, uh, to cover. Uh, taxes that you ought, otherwise ought to be paying to uh, to pay for government. So it's it's a top twenty five top twenty percent defense uh, approach, um, and you know, and and one that one that I see up see come up often, but it's a myth. Taxes are not taxes would not be used to pay for the PFD. Taxes would be used to pay for the portion of government, uh, the cost of government above the uh, the other fifty percent set aside for uh, for government. So, and again, this is the argument that we've continued to make that, you know, you have to keep everything in its lane. The PFD comes from the earnings. Anything else you want beyond that, beyond their 50% of those earnings, is on you. And that's where the taxation question comes in. And, uh, and, I, and I think this whole thing is just super, super fascinating um, as, as they go through it. Now, somebody in the chat room talks about one of the other arguments that we saw in there, which is, well, the lower 20 or, you know, 10 or 20 or 30% income earners, they're using more state services, so they should pay for it more. Um, and I mean, I got a couple comments on that, but let's get your take on it first. Well, we address that also in the, I mean, it's not an argument we haven't seen before. We address that, uh, in the op-ed, uh, PFD cuts take nine times more from lower income Alaska families five times more from 
The next uh, uh, 20 percent uh, lower middle income Alaska families, four times more uh, from middle income Alaska families and even two times more from upper middle uh, income Alaska families. There's no there's no economic analysis that's ever been done that shows that those classes are using more government services than the top 20 percent, but certainly no economic analysis that's ever been shown that they're using those multiple uh, times uh, uh, the top 20 percent. It's again, it's another uh, uh, top 20 percent defense mechanism of, oh, well, you know, we're just we're just charging those who cost government more uh, more. But we're 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 charging them multiples more than any economic analysis has ever shown uh, that they uh, that they might be uh, 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 costing in terms of additional money uh, uh, from from government. Well, and there's a secondary aspect of that as well. Uh, if we are costing them, you know, a lot more, the other ones who are actually benefiting from this is not just lower income earners who are utilizing the services. The service providers who happen to be in the top 20 percent of the income don't want that gravy train to end either. So we've created a dependency loop in both directions, um, which is fascinating from an economic standpoint for sure yeah that's that's an excellent point i mean when when governor dunleavy proposed medicaid cuts uh cuts to state support of medicaid which would have reduced uh medicaid payments the biggest reaction was not from advocates for the lower 20 percent it was from the doctors uh the doctors who who get the money uh, from the Medicaid services. I mean, the lower 20% get the benefit of medical services, but they don't get the dollars. The dollars go to the docs and the hospital community. And I recall one meeting uh, that Governor Dunleavy had uh, during uh, 2019 when he had when he had proposed uh, these cuts and he was out on the road trying to uh, explain them. And 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 it was it was a meeting with the docs and the docs were just outraged that uh, that the governor would would propose cuts in Medicaid. So you're exactly right. It's not only not only are the uh, not only are the uh, uh, the amount of services being received by middle and lower income Alaska families not the multiples that they that they end up incurring as a result of PFD cuts. Uh, the, the top twenty percent who benefit from from the payments to the lower uh, from, from the payments on behalf of the lower twenty percent. Um, uh, uh, get off scot-free as well. They don't have to pay taxes on it. Right. Now, there's been some criticism of this position that you and I have been talking about of the you know the lower income earners being affected, the top 20% walking away pretty much unscathed, is that we're fomenting class warfare, um, that that's what we're pushing here. It's all about class warfare. And, and again, I... I find that ironic, considering what's being waged across uh, the the spectrum against uh, all the you know all the income brackets except for the top twenty percent. So I find that to be ironic. But let's wrap up with uh, your thoughts on that and any kind of final thoughts on this uh, these comments as we go through. Well, to the extent there's class warfare, it's class warfare by the top twenty percent uh, against the uh, against the 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 other uh, the other eighty percent. I mean, they're the ones benefiting from the current system. They're the ones proposing to maintain the current system of using uh, PFD cuts to pay for government, uh, and, uh, and which lets them off uh, scot-free. They're the ones pushing the legislature in the legislature and pushing the legislature uh, to continue to use uh, PFD cuts. So if there is class warfare, if there is, a, if there is some pushing going on on behalf of class, uh, it's the top 20% pushing to protect themselves uh, at the expense of the, uh, of the other 80%. 
Yeah, and I would agree with that. I mean, again, uh, somebody in the chat room, uh, Chris, just said, you know, PFD cuts are uniform to everybody. I don't like it, but it seems silly to argue class warfare. Um, but the problem is, is that PFD cuts are uniform in the fact that they hit everybody, but they are seriously uh, problematic because they hit the lowest. I mean, if you're looking at something that is cutting some, you know, 35 percent of somebody's income versus 0.34 percent of somebody's income, there's a massive difference in how that is affected. Yeah, exactly right. I mean, what we, what what our society lives on, what what citizens live on, is their income, right? And and when you look at taxation or you look at any fiscal plan, you look at the effect on income uh, by uh, uh, by uh, 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 income bracket. Uh, that's how you assess the impact of any of any fiscal measure uh, on 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 citizens on on families. Um, I yeah, I, people try to say, oh, PFD cuts are even across the board. Well, they're not. Uh, when you look at it as a as a percent of income, which is how everybody, when they sit down at their kitchen table, looks at their lives. When you look at it as a percent of income, it has a hugely disproportionate effect. Uh, on middle and lower income Alaska families and a hugely trivial effect uh, on the top 20 percent. And right. and to argue that to argue that the effects the same across the board is just to I mean, it's another top 20 percent myth, not t- another top 20 percent old wives tale uh, to uh, to try to justify uh, the impact that they're having on middle and lower income Alaska families. Uh, Brad Keithley is our guest, Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets. Brad, hold the line. We're going to be back here in just a moment, and we're going to continue our discussions of the weekly top three. We still got two and three to get to, so we're going to take a quick break, and we're going to come back uh, coming up in just a moment. We're going to talk about RPFD cuts the only answer. My answer is no. We could make cuts if we change enough players to create the political will. Brad's position is there are still taxation options out there, which I think we should talk about. But, I mean, I still don't want to give up on the cuts first idea. We're going to talk about that here in the next segment. The Michael Duke Show, Common Sense, Liberty-based, free thinking radio. Regularly heard on American radio. Well, I got to say, Brad, um, I agree with you. I was shocked. I expected a lot of uh, venom and vitriol to be flying around in the chat room or in the uh, comment section on this. And I know that they're, I know that they are moderating the comments, but it's been pretty clear what the editorial board's position at the ADN is on this topic. And I thought maybe they'd be a little looser on the comment section. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, the, the other, th- another thing that that struck me, Michael, is that comments weren't uniformly, you know, taxes are bad. You guys are nuts uh, of that variety. There were supportive comments, uh, a lot of supportive comments. In fact, by the end, I checked it again this morning. By the end, it's about running about 50 percent um, supportive comments. So I think people are beginning to get it. Um, I had one comment. Uh, I, I write the weekly, weekly column for the Alaska Landmine, and I've talked a lot about the PFD and the and the adverse impact of uh, the disproportionate impact of uh, of PF, using PFD cuts to fund government. And I had one comment uh, in the last, uh, well, the next to last piece I wrote that said, you know, I finally understand this. You, you beat it into my head enough that I finally understand it. And ask some, ask some fairly good questions about, 
you know, where do we go from here uh, as a result of it? So I think I think the the message um, uh, is not being uniformly rejected. And I would guess, to tell you the honest truth, I would guess if if we went through and 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 looked at the comments and tried to assess what income brackets are coming from. Most of the negative comments would be coming from the top 20% income bracket, and most of the positive comments would be coming from the other 80%. Yeah, I would be interested to see a demographic and uh, <clears throat> financial breakdown of the commenters uh, on that aspect for sure. Um, we're going to uh, jump into the uh, next segment here. We're going to talk about this. This included an exchange that uh, you had on a comment um, uh, uh, article that was posted, uh, somebody reposted your article, um, or reposted, uh, uh, an opinion piece rather out of the ADN. And, um, uh, and it was talking about a new ITEP report and some other things. And you had a very interesting exchange on this. So this is going to be part of it, but essentially the question becomes, you know, is the PFD the only answer? Um, and the commenter on this piece, which I mean, we'll get into here in a second, but this is a this is a common refrain. I want cuts, Brad. I think Brad want you want cuts too, right? I mean, I'm not we're not we're not whistling in the dark here. But My, Michael, I just just to put this in context, I was the first one that wrote an op ed in the ADN in 2012, pushing for cuts. That was a time at which a lot of people, including Bill Stoltz, who was a senator from the Valley, were still pushing more spending, more spending. But I was I was pushing cuts in 2012. I've consistently pushed cuts. Right. And frankly, and frankly, when I talk about a flat tax, when I talk about any tax, I think the ultimate result of that is going to be cuts. Because once you engage the top 20 percent, once you engage the donor class in having to pay for government, I think they're going to push back uh, on the cost of government, and 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 the result's going to be cuts. As long as you let them off the hook, where they don't have to pay and they don't care about government spending levels, they're not going to push for cuts. So, yes, I've been for cuts since since way back before uh, cuts became cuts became a theme. I continue <laughs> to push them. I'm just I'm just looking for different ways. You were you were for cuts before it was cool. Is that what you're saying right now? <laughs> well, I was before cuts before anybody else was writing in the ADN pushing them. In first is what Brad is saying. In first with the first comment on anything right there. Um yeah, no, I uh I, I agree. I mean, this is something that we've been talking about for a long time. Unfortunately, uh, even going back into 2018 with the governor's first budget, which had plenty of cuts, there was just, I mean, there was just no political will to get it done. It's its insane. It's absolutely insane. Um, and and I want to get into that here in, in just a hot minute. But let's change gears for a second here. we got about just under two minutes. Um Effects on what's going to happen um, in this special primary. What what do you see here? You mentioned right in. Do you think that that's part of the plan here, or is this a push to just make sure that Peltola runs essentially is the only candidate in on that side of the aisle in this race, and he's going to try and split it out between Begich and Palin? Yeah, I, I I don't see what the grand plan is here. Um, you know, this is. We we were still in the race just for to serve to serve out the current term um, in in the in the special election. So right. I don't I don't get get what the grand plan is. Maybe it's to get Tara into the top four. Uh, we'll see if that works uh, when Department of Elections Division of Elections uh, uh, rules on whether she does you know she does go on the ballot as a result of this. But I, I don't I don't see the grand plan right now. It, it's sort of you know I don't want to say this because it's 
well, it sort of reminds me of Ethan, right? It sort of reminds right. me that, you know, Ethan's whole experience where he just disappeared. Right. Um, right. And, 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 you know, dropped a, dropped a comment and disappeared. And it, it, that's, that's the first thing I thought of when I saw that, saw the, right, the, right. the posting from gross. Yeah. There's gotta be something that, Oh man, there's gotta be some kind of skeleton in that closet somewhere that uh, was about to be dropped uh, on the, on the local news. <laughs> All right, ding-a-ding, that means we got to jump back into this. We're ready to go. Please like and share this video. Please subscribe and ring the bell. Um, let's go over, uh, let's get Let's get rolling on. Here we go, the Michael Duke Show, Common Sense Radio. All right, we're continuing now. Brad Keithley, our guest. Ooh, hey, the fight's on. Did you hear that? Uh, we're about to dive into it. Continuing the weekly top three, we're on to number two, which includes uh, there was an opinion piece uh, in the ADN uh, that talks specifically uh, about uh, uh, how uh, an income tax would hurt less than a PFD cut. This is an ITEP report. Um, and you talk about ITEP and ICER and some of the other organizations talking about how PFD cuts, and we've been talking about this since 2014, are the most regressive, uh, affect the Alaska economy the worst, um, is, the, is the least best option that they have on the table, um, which leads me to the whole question of, man, why can't we just cut this budget into something that is more manageable? Which, of course, leads to the question of, well, to do that, you need 59 other people to agree with you. And that's been a big part of the problem here. So uh, the question is, Brad, are PFD cuts the only way that we can fund government? Can we live within our means or do we have to talk about taxes? Well, Michael, as I said uh, during the break, I've been at this since uh, since before, uh, since about 2010. Uh, and in 2012, I wrote uh, an op-ed piece in the in the ADN news minor. It appeared various places, uh, urging uh, spending cuts. At the time, I got a lot of pushback about, oh, we don't need to worry about that. You know, we've got oil money forever, and and uh, and you're just being a doomsayer to say that we need to cut spending. Um, but you know, I I, I continue to pursue it. Uh, and pushed uh, pushed spending cuts uh, uh, through uh, uh, through 2017. In 2017, uh, I had a meeting with uh, with with several people who understood what was going down in the legislature on in the legislature, and the the result of that was, you know, the message came back was they're not going to cut spending, right? They're, they're not going to cut spending. So you just have to. This was after Walker's uh, uh, Walker's uh, uh, PFD cuts. They're not going to cut spending. You just have to accept that. You have to accept that there's going to be PFD cuts. And as I probed it with those and others, I came to realize that the reason that we're not cutting spending uh, is because the top 20%, the donor class, don't uh, don't have any stake in the game. They don't have any skin in the game. Uh, PFD cuts have a uh, have a trivial impact uh, on uh, uh, the top 20%, uh, and uh, and 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 they don't really care. And, and in fact, there's this devil's bargain. Uh, that became uh, that became clear between the Democrats who wanted increased government spending and the top 20 percent Republicans 
that, you know, the Democrats said, if you don't oppose spending, we won't go after you for taxes. And the top 20% Republicans said, we won't oppose spending if you don't come after us for taxes. So if, if we're going to break this cycle, if we're actually going to have spending reductions, we've got to get the top 20% in the game. It's not going to happen uh, with, uh, with the push that has been, uh, th that we've been undertaking uh, to this point. And, and part of that uh, part of that is getting the top 20% having skin in the game through them suffering the same sort of economic consequence that PFD cuts have on middle and lower income Alaska families, which is they have to contribute to the cost of government. As long as they don't, we're not going to get this solved. My, I believe the second that they have skin in the game, the second they have to contribute toward the cost of government in an equitable fashion, I'm not saying we take all of it from the top 20%, but as, 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 as soon as they get skin in the game, I believe they're going to use their abilities and their influence as donors and as the controllers of lobbyists and various other things to push back on spending levels. And, um, and, and that's how we're going to achieve, achieve spending reduction. Well, but again, Brad, I think in one of the arguments, and this is the one that I try and wrap my head around the most because I agree with it, is we can look at places like California where they do tax the top 20%, and yet California has got the most out-of-control taxation and spending in the country. So by giving them access to more money and especially to that top 20%, you know, what's the just I mean, I understand what you're saying is that they're the ones that are influencing the legislature. Oh, now I'm paying. So now I'll influence them to cut. But I mean, we're we're looking at other examples around the country that that doesn't necessarily, you know, pencil out in the end. Well, California, uh, the problem with California uh, and the problem with Illinois, frankly, where I'm visiting my mother, is that they use a progressive, a highly progressive uh, income tax. I've never been an advocate of that. And the problem with with a progressive income taxes, it pushes all of the costs to the top 20%. So you've got the remaining 80% that don't have skin in the game, and they continue to push for more government spending because they're not uh, incurring uh, part of the cost of government. The thing, the reason I push a flat tax uh, is because it affects all income brackets the same. Everybody, if we're going to take 2%, for example, which which is what it would take two percent of adjusted gross uh, total state adjusted gross income plus non-resident adjusted gross gross income. If we're going to take two percent uh, of everybody's income, everybody's going to have the same stake in the game, and everybody's going to push back on government spending uh, in the same way. The problem with California is they shove the burden. Yeah, the problem with Alaska is we shove the burden to middle and lower income Alaskas, Alaska families. The problem with California is they shove it to the top 20 percent and the middle uh, and, and lower income families continue to push for government spending. We've got to have a way in which everybody has a stake in the game. Everybody has an incentive to uh, to try to find that balance between the government they want and the government they're willing to pay for. And, and if you let one income bracket or one group of income brackets escape from that responsibility, um, then, then they're going to continue to push for government because it doesn't it doesn't matter to them. California is a perfect example of going too far uh, the other way. And uh, Donna points out in the chat room, Illinois does have a flat income tax. Are they affected in the same way? In your opinion, uh, Illinois does it has has exemptions. So what you've got is a flat income tax on some people, uh, but exemptions on on a large uh, bracket. Uh, of people. And so you still got a class that's not, that doesn't have 
uh, the same uh, skin of the game. And that class is is heavily represented in Chicago, uh, and Chicago uh, has a huge influence on uh, on how Illinois uh, politics operates. So it's it it is not as extreme uh, as California in terms of pushing it uh, to the top income bracket, but it nevertheless is creating. The reverse of the same thing we have in in California in Alaska, which is one income bracket, isn't contributing at all. So the question is: Are PFD cuts the only way to fund government? You've done the math, and obviously, uh, the answer to that is no. There are other options. That's why you have talked about this flat income tax. And those of us who are still pulling for um, a more balanced budget with cuts, uh, are we whistling in the dark here? I mean, what? Give us, give us your take. Well, that was the Michael. That was the that was the message that I was given in 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 these meetings in 2017, which is I was whistling in the dark. Uh, that uh, that you know I could talk myself blue in the face about where cuts could be made. I could you know come up with creative ways to do cuts in Medicaid. I could come up with creative ways to do cuts in K through 12, but they were never going to be adopted because uh, this this devil's bargain existed between those who wanted to continue spending and, and the top 20 percent who didn't have to pay for it as long as we used. Uh, PFD cuts. So there are other ways to do it. I mean, I've talked about flat tax. Others have talked about oil taxes, which uh, I, I'm a little skeptical of. I don't think we can raise enough money that way to cover to cover the deficits. Uh, I think there does have to be some personal contribution, but there other are other ways to do it. One of the arguments um, I heard uh, in this exchange you're talking about on Facebook was Alaska doesn't have enough revenue base. Uh, to support taxes. That is, there there isn't enough income in the state to support taxes. Well, that's ridiculous. I mean, by Alaska has, according to IRS data, uh, Alaska has about $26, 27000000000 billion uh, in adjusted gross income. By the time you add non-residents on top of that, and by the time you add back in the amount of PFD cuts, which would come back into the private sector uh, if we use something else other than PFD cuts, you have about twenty-eight and a half, twenty-nine billion dollars of uh, of private sector uh, private sector income, uh, and with a with a deficit of a little over five hundred million dollars, which was the deficit uh, closed by PFD cuts in this last budget. That's only two percent of adjusted gross income. So we've got we've got the revenue base in the private sector. There's a there's a, a some revenue base in the oil sector to to make additional contributions. We've got the revenue base to do it. The question is spreading, are we going to spread that burden equitably across all income brackets? Or as we do with PFD cuts, are we going to take that that 2% out of middle and lower income Alaska families only uh, and let the top 20% off the hook? Which kind of leads us into number three uh, a little bit because my question still remains, do we have enough ability to change the players to find people that have the uh, political will to cut so that we can avoid the taxation issue, uh, to find the political will to enshrine the uh, PFD in the Constitution so we don't have to keep revisiting this. And that leads us to number three, which again comes to the candidates' positions on everything from protecting the PFD to K-12 and everything else. Right. One of the things I want to do on the on the top three over the course of the of election cycle is sort of call is sort of identify the various issues that I think are going to be arising in the campaign and talk about talk about the the, the candidates uh, positions on those. One of them uh, was raised down in Ketchikan when Governor Dunleavy was was uh, was visiting down there. Uh, their board, their local school board and their local government has 
adopted the position that we need to increase the BSA. We need to increase the amount of state government money going to uh, going to uh, uh, local school districts. Uh, take the burden off the back of local school districts. Put it on the back of the state. Here's the issue. By, by putting it on the back of the state using PFD cuts, you're essentially making middle and lower income Alaska families throughout the state pay more for school uh, schools uh, and letting the top 20% off the hook. Um, I think I think there's going to be a lot of people talking about increasing the BSA. A lot of candidates talking about increasing the BSA uh, this coming uh, this coming cycle. And and okay, let's talk about that. But let's talk about who pays for the increase in the BSA. Right. If you do it through PFD cuts, it's going to come off the backs of middle and lower income Alaska families. It ought to be spread equitably. If we're going to do it, it ought to be spread equitably through all the income brackets. Brad Keithley, Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets. Brad, we're out of time for today. Thank you for coming on board. I appreciate it. Enjoy your time uh, there with your mom, and we will see you next week. Michael, as always, thanks for having me. Folks, we are out of time for this segment. we got more coming up. Hour 2, Dead Ahead, The Michael Duke Show, Common Sense Radio. I don't know, Brad. Give me, give me a, give me a, a even odds here. Look into your crystal ball because again, I, I definitely am not giving up on the idea that we can cut into the state government. I am, I agree that if we're going to have a conversation on taxes, that we should talk about the one that is fairest and most equitable and works the best. But I, for one, am not willing to give up that ground yet on the ability to change enough players out to cut the size and scope of budget now we're looking at this full length and breadth of players who are out there wanting to jump into this give me your odds your you know give me the over and under on whether or not you think that there'll be enough political will when the dust settles to actually get in there and 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 take a chainsaw to the state budget michael i don't think we gather the political looking over the last 10 years uh I don't think we gather enough political will uh, to uh, to push back uh, on spending until every Alaska family is part of the conversation and every Alaska family has an incentive to push back on spending. The way we're doing it right now uh, and the way some want to maintain doing it uh, is through PFD cuts, uh, and we're and that pushes the burden off on middle and lower income Alaska families. I, there's there, that it takes more money out of their pockets as a, as a share of their income uh, than it does uh, than, than it does the top 20 percent. And, and as a result, the top 20 percent are not part of this discussion. They will say they are uh, in order to deflect uh, uh, another conversation from from affecting them in order to deflect, uh, you know, somebody saying, well, you ought to participate in paying for it. They will say they're against spending. But when you look at the votes in the legislature, when you look at who's who's the ones holding the, the holding spending up, it's Natasha, it's Gary uh, uh, Stevens, it's Bert Stedman, it's the top twenty percent in the legislature that are that are holding on. And and you've got candidates out there, uh, Doug Massey, the one run, running against uh, against uh, Mike Shower, uh, essentially saying the same thing. He's, he's in favor of an affordable PFD. Well, that that just means. That is whatever's left over after you know after we paid for government spending. It, it it we have to make all Alaska families part of the conversation, part of the pushback uh, to get this done. And the only way, the only way I have 
thought through and, and, and thought how we can do that is to, is to extend the obligation to pay for government to all Alaska families through a flat tax. All Alaska families. No, no exceptions. The higher income don't get off with a lighter, lighter uh, uh, payment. Lower income don't get off with a lighter, lighter payment. Everybody contributes the same percent of income. Uh, and then everybody, you know, it contributes toward determining the balance between the government we want and the government we're willing to pay for. Well, I, you know, again, um, I, man, I got, I just hope you're wrong. I mean, I hope that there is enough political will to get this. We've been fighting for this and people are, are upset about it. Um, uh, you know, again, I'm not against having a conversation about the best form of taxation if that's what it comes down to. I'm just not ready to give up on the idea that's, that we can get enough good people in there to make these choices. Um, and, but your, your over and under is nope. It's it's just not going to happen. There's not the My, not the will to get it done. Michael, we need to go through the candidates on on one of these segments. There are not enough candidates, <coughs> excuse me, who are even saying they're willing to cut spending to get six to get sixteen to back up the governor if he would if he would ever try it again. He won't. Uh, uh, this or a subsequent governor trying it again. You're, you, we don't have enough candidates uh, to do it. Once you go through and, and piece together all of the uh, all of the positions out there, so it's um, it, it, we we talk a good game about wanting to make cuts. We've outlined. Gosh, you and I spent the entire an entire decade uh, talking about you know how we could make cuts to Medicaid, how we could make cuts to the university, how we could make cuts right. uh, to K through twelve. An entire decade talking about that stuff. The the all of all of the possibilities are there. You know how to do it. The political will isn't there. And the reason the political will isn't there is because we have one huge segment of the of the political population that that isn't pushing for it. So it, we, we can continue talking about it. But I'm going to tell you, just talking about cuts only, just talking about, you know, spending cuts or bust. Uh, is is just going to result in continued PFD cuts year after year after year of PFD cuts, uh, as that is the mechanism used to uh, to fund government spending. Yeah, well, um, <clears throat> I uh, you know, like I said, I'm 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 continuing to try and be optimistic. I'm trying to be practically optimistic. I don't know if it's going to work or not, um, but we're going to keep uh, pushing that way. Um, as far as if there does have to be taxes, uh, I am in agreement with you that the flat tax makes the most sense. I don't see it as, be, it, it as being the most popular option, again, because why would the top 20% uh, income earners in the state, the affluent and the ones who are most politically influential, be interested in throwing any of their skin into the game? But at least it should be talked about but i'm not giving up hope on the idea that somehow we can get enough people in there who have the chutzpah to be able to cut we've got to, i guess we've got to fight at it from both sides at this point we, we do have to fight at it from both sides and we have to we have to keep the, the the way in which we would make the cuts alive so that when we get the political will to do it we don't have to go back and reinvent the wheel on how are we going to make how are we make the cuts but the the primary thing uh, 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 that I've learned out of the last decade uh, is is generating the political will. And the primary thing about generating the political will is getting the top 20% engaged in the effort to push back on spending, not just giving lip service to it, but actively putting their resources, their efforts with the candidates they support uh, uh, towards uh, towards pushing back on it. And we just haven't seen that. 
All right, Brad, <clears throat> thank you so much for coming on board. I appreciate it. Enjoy your time with your mom, and uh, we look forward to uh, talking with you again uh, next week. Maybe we should uh, maybe we should uh, we should do a whole top three, which is really just a top one of going through candidate by candidate and see who's got a record for what. That might be a good thing to talk about. Um, Michael, uh, uh, thanks for having me, and, I, and, and, and we'll see if we can piece that together. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. Folks, we're out of time for this segment. we got more coming up. Hour 2, Dead Ahead, The Michael Duke Show, Common Sense Radio. Put that thing back in its holster. We haven't gone anywhere. I don't understand. Check out the MichaelDukesShow.com for information on how to get access to the podcast. Welcome to the party, pal. The, the Michael Dukes Show. The greed and the entitlement is astounding to me. What more could you want from a low-budget radio program? This is a dumpster fire. That was just BS. It is time to get a new perspective. We know just what you need, and we've got just the cure. Open wide and prepare for a steaming hot cup of freedom. I just don't fathom it. The Michael Dukes Show, streaming live across the world. Around the world on the interwebs at MichaelDukesShow.com, where you'll find links to the podcast and social media sites. And around the state of Alaska, on this, your favorite radio station and or translator, where you will also find a link and list of all those places and dial positions and everything else, again, on my website at MichaelDukesShow.com. Um, hour two of the broadcast, and we just finished up a contentious, <laughs> a contentious uh, segment with Brad Keithley from Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets. Um, we were talking about a variety of things, but the taxation issue has really riled up a lot of people in the chat room, and I understand that. I understand why um, it uh, it's frustrating. Uh, I, for one, am not <clears throat> ready to give up on a cuts only approach. Uh, now, maybe I maybe I'm being a little bit more pragmatic to say that if there does have to be a discussion on on taxation, that I would like to have a hand in that conversation. But the bottom line is is that I am not ready to give up yet on this idea that we can um, that we can cut our way into a more balanced budget. I mean, I just don't buy the arguments that people are <clears throat> have been espousing for years. That, uh, you know, all that we've cut everything that we can cut and we just can't cut no further. I don't believe that. Um, I believe, I mean, I really like the fiscal policy working group's approach um, that, uh, you know, that that basically was a, a balanced approach to say we need to look more at oil taxation. We need to look more at cuts. We need to look more at uh, spending reform. Uh, and then potentially at the very end. If we have to, looking at some form of taxation, but that should always be the last and the last and the worst option, right? I mean, we. I keep going back to that that whole and when Rob uh, Myers and I were on the program and had Rob on the program, we were talking about the history of the state when we received that first big royalty payment, that first big lease payment 
back in 1972, you know, of $900 million, and they spent it like it was going out of style. Again, remembering that the state budget at the time was only $162 million, $160, $162 million. And, um, you know, we've seen what that kind of money has done to the state. It has created a bloated state government. And, um, you know, I, I just, I know that we can cut back. I mean, again, adjusting for inflation and everything else, um, as we had talked about, adjusting for inflation and uh, and the, and population and everything else, the state budget should be somewhere in the $2.7 billion range. Instead, we're in the $6 billion range. Now, I'm not saying that we immediately cut all the way back to the 2.7, uh, which is, again, half of what the current budget is. But if we can't find a 25 or 20, 20-25% cut, then we're doing something wrong. I mean, we are we are really not looking for it. We need to put people into office that have the vision and the political will to to do that, to get things done, to go in there and make those cuts. We keep electing people who may pay lip service to that, but when it comes time to actually in the rubber to meet the road, they've not been doing it. They just have not been um, they have not been making the cuts or standing behind uh, the cuts that anybody else has made. For example, Governor Dunleavy in 2018. He couldn't find 16 Republicans to help him override the vote. That's a problem, right? Oh, this whole thing is <clears throat> so frustrating. As a person who has been, and Brad's right, Brad and I were talking about cuts 10 years ago almost. I mean, we were talking for two years solid. We were talking about the where it could be cut. We're, you know, were politicians committed at the time to the $3.94 billion mark, which was what the uh, ICER and others had said, this is the sustainable mark. If you hold it here, you know, government will be self-reliant. It will pay for itself out of the 50% of the PFD. It will do all these things and we won't overrun it. We won't have to dip into our spending, into our savings and, and drain the CBR and all these things. And politicians are like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I can agree that that 3.9, that 4, that 4.1 billion mark, that's doing we could agree that they and they, and they just immediately blew right past it, even those that ran on it. So changing the players is so incredibly fundamental, but we cannot just change the players out with people who are just more of the same. You know, the Doug Masters of, oh, you can have an affordable PFD. Uh, screw you. I don't need an affordable PFD. I want the statutory PFD, which again is my half of the royalties, uh, the, 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 uh, uh, profits from royalties that I own as a shareholder in the state of Alaska. And if you guys can't control your appetite for spending, then get out. I mean that we need that we need people who have the uh, ability and the wherewithal and the intestinal fortitude to make those cuts and to stand by people who are doing the doing that standing by a governor or whatever that makes those cuts. 
I, I just don't know how to make it any clearer than that. Um, I'd love to hear what you guys have to say on this. So let's open up the phone line. Um, uh, this morning we've got uh, we've got this one segment here to do uh, open line, open form. Uh, I was thinking that maybe uh, he tried calling it. Oh, I'm sorry, I got uh, Senator Shower. Uh, uh, we'll do that right there this morning. Um, we'll get Senator Shower uh, on the line to talk with us about this for a few minutes as well. Um, and let me see if I can uh, let me see if I can pump. Um, uh, let me see if I can bump um, uh, uh, Chris Story back um, and uh, see if we can get get that going on. There we go. Mike Shower uh, calling in here this morning. Uh, our guest, uh, he's not going to be available later this week, and so I invited him to come on for a few minutes. But I got I got ranting. You know what happens when I get ranty? It's almost like when Mike Shower gets ranty. Good morning, sir. How are you? I don't rant. I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah, I have no idea what you're talking about. I mean, what do you think, sir? I mean, we're, we're you know, do we have the opportunity here in this current batch of uh, of candidates in the legislature? Do we have the ability to change the players and find a group of people who are willing to discuss cuts, or are we doomed to be facing some form of taxation? What I mean, what what's your take on this? Well, you know, Mike, I've I, I had some optimism. You know, a few years ago when I thought we'd have Republican control of both bodies and I was a lot more naive about what people, who people were and that they really, truly said one thing in the campaign season and did another when it came time to execute. So right. I am not going to sit here and say, yeah, I think we can do it this time. The reason is, as I told you, we talked a couple of weeks ago, I don't even know if the if the Senate's going to be able to come together with a Republican controlled uh, group this time. I mean, I think it's very possible there'll be a few Republicans throw their their uh, deal in with the Democrats, and we're going to see a Senate that looks like the House did the last four years because they could. There's a couple people that could really care less. They've been part of a Muskox caucus before. They'll do it again as long as they get power and control. They they really don't care. So, I don't want to sit here and predict and say, yeah, we can do that because those are the people that love to spend money. Um, and so it's. You know, it's really hard to tell that, Mike. And I'm not I'm not going to sit here and go, well, yeah, folks, I think this time, Charlie Brown, we're not going to have the football pulled out from under. So I'm sick and tired of having the football pulled out from under me. So I go into this with quite a bit of cynicism and skepticism of, you know, uh, first of all, if I actually get reelected and go back since I have a challenger. And secondly, if I am there, you know, obviously we have to try to put together a coalition that would have Republicans in control of both bodies and enough in each of those groups that would be willing to stick with a governor who would help, you know, trim the budget with the pen and whatever budget they produced, but also had a, you know, legislature that was willing to look at some of those hard cuts too. You know, I, I was listening to you while you were ranting. Um, and, you know, we talked about the fiscal policy work group. A part of that is, is reduction of the spending. It wasn't, it's never off the table. It never should be. And it can be painful. And I know it's going to be. And the teachers unions and the IBW and AFL-ICIO and, and all the rest of them are going to come out screaming about, the, you know, the kids all starving to death and grandma getting pushed out of the house, you know, in her wheelchair. I get it. But like you said, you know, we had a hard time finding just enough of us to stick with the governor for his, you know, what, $440 million worth of cuts four years ago. <laughs> we, we, could, we couldn't even get enough people at the end of that one. And that was a fraction, really. Right. You know, I mean, it was, it was a good start, but it was a fraction. 
you know, of what you'd have to do to balance the budget, but you got to do these other things too. Because that's the reality, right? It's right. Well, politics well, is and part I, of the solution. I guess not just the map. Uh, you know, there, yeah, again, a lot of people screaming like, you know, what? No, no, never taxes. We're never going to talk. We shouldn't even discuss it. Cuts or nothing. And while I am on board that train philosophically of cuts or nothing, I also understand there's a political reality of if we don't at least try and steer the conversation, they'll just roll right over the top of us, right? They'll just steamroll us anyway. So shouldn't we at least be discussing, like they did in the fiscal policy working group, the potential um, you know, potential revenue measures that we may be facing in the future, whether should it be a sales tax or a progressive income tax or a flat tax, should it be oil taxation uh, and everything else? Because, again, it looks like that the cuts mantra of cuts only is about halfway down the list of things that they want to do. I mean, shouldn't isn't it responsible for us uh, for us to be able to talk about those things? Well, I mean, we did talk about it. We produced, you know, several. You, you know, we discussed that ad nauseum when we when that came out a year, almost a year ago, and you know, it was never acted upon. Same leadership, same kind of people you were asking about a couple minutes ago. You never even bothered taking up any tenants except a couple. That was the old, you know, poison pill of well, yeah, we're going to tax the crap out of everybody. We got to raise seven hundred million dollars in taxes, and then you know, we might get to a fifty fifty PFT. I'll tell you, Mike, it, it's going to take some guts to go do this because you're going to get hit from the right and the left for various reasons. You're going to get hit from folks that don't want taxes, hit from folks that want a full PFD, hit from folks that, you know, want taxes or bigger spending people that don't want any reductions of spending because, you know, it's just the austerity is going to kill us. Uh, you're going to get hit from every quarter to do this. So to, to make those kinds of changes that would actually balance the budget um, and put us on a sustainable path, it's going to be difficult because you're going to get hit. From all the people you're afraid of, if you're a politician that really, really wants to see, right? I'd love to do it. I don't care. Kick me out. You know, make the hard decisions. You go, we're mad at you. We're going to kick you out. I've told you before. I'm like, good. <laughs> you know, Move on. But that, if, if, if that's the result of me fixing the state's fiscal plan, right. then, I'll live with that. Then kick me the hell out, right? <laughs> if, if it's if it's for that reason, because we did that, but piss people off, it is because we were successful in putting us on a sustainable path. My, I'll live with that. I'll live that and go thumbs up. We did the job. But remember, people like you and me talking about this, you know, I said, if we're ta if we're talking taxes, then we're talking a spending cap. If you think, again, I'm going to be down the tax path, but we're not changing the constitutional spending cap. Hell no. That's stupid. I'm just throwing money out the window. I'm, I might as well just burn it with my flamethrower. Right. Point. Well, right? this so is there's, there's key tenants. Right. This is always this has been my argument with Brad for a long time. This, you know, his advocation of, uh, you know, well, if we top if we tax the top 20 percent, then they'll get in the game and they'll do things and yada, yada. And I'm like, but without any kind of governor, what other what any kind of restrictions on spending? You're just adding more fuel to the fire. You're giving. You're not starving the beast. You're you're forcing it to be a glutton. Look at all this money around you that we just generated with this new tax. This is no. It's got to have some kind of mechanism to reduce the spending. That's the only way you're going to get this to balance out to where things are going to work out. Is you have to reduce the spending, or reduce the uh, ability to spend with that cap. And we've got to have something like that, right? 
Yeah, I mean, if you don't have that part, Mike, that's why it's called a a comprehensive fiscal policy. Right, exactly. Plan, right, it's not it's not a partial well, policy plan. It's not a part. You know, a couple of pieces I like, and I'm going to ditch the rest of them. It's yeah. a comprehensive plan, which means there's probably a couple tenets of it you don't really like, but well, that's the political answer because it's not just a math problem. Pie in the sky is not going to work, Mike. Right, cut your way to it. You're not going to do it. Why? I hate you, Mike, because you're not talking cuts. Yes, I am. But if I don't have enough of the other 59 people that are willing to do it and a governor, well, guess what? It's not going to happen. Right. And they're done that. Well, I that's why find the, something that's going to work. That's why the fiscal policy working group talked about this as a holistic approach. You can't just take one one of these items in isolation. Here's our solution. Our solution is these six points. Well, I only want to focus on one. Well, then it's not going to work. That's the problem. If you do one without the others, it, the whole thing is imbalanced and the whole plan comes apart. That's why it has to be a holistic approach. And that's what we've been talking about. All right. Mike Schauer is our guest. Uh, good news. Chris Story was actually listening to the program this morning when I said we were going to try and move him. And he has graciously accepted uh, tomorrow's position in the last segment of the show. So Chris Story will be joining us tomorrow. Mike Shower will be with us, well, for as long as we can hold on to him here uh, this morning. So we'll continue with Mike Shower in just a moment. It is the Michael Duke Show. Common Sense, Liberty-based, free-thinking radio. Back with more right after this. Broadcasting live through a series of tubes. Allowing all of these entities to provide streaming stuff going on on the the, the internet. Well, it's kind of hard to explain. Sorry. Streaming live every weekday morning on Facebook Live and MichaelDukesShow.com. All right. Uh, We're uh, continuing now. Mike Schauer is our guest. Um... I'm going to blame it all on me. Uh, I misread a, 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 a previous message from uh, uh, from the senator about moving him to today. I don't know what I was thinking when I read it, but apparently I was doing three things when I read it. And I'm like, oh, yeah, he's coming on on Thursday. Not that I can't come on on Thursday. And instead it was Tuesday. So anyway, I appreciate you being flexible. Um, Semper Gumby is all I can say. Semper Flexibility Gumby. is the key to air power. Mate. That's right, baby. That is right. I appreciate you. Uh, appreciate you, you coming on board, and uh, and and doing that. Um, you know, uh, we keep talking about it, and uh, I know that you've mentioned it. I know that uh, Kevin McCabe is in the chat room mentioning it. Uh, that this really is all about majorities, majorities versus minorities. The minorities. Um, you know, I have so little power. There are very few instances where they can take a stand and make a difference. And that is, uh, that's just, that's just the fact. Um, I mean, they can take a stand on certain things and on certain votes and on certain issues, unless they get, as we've seen in the past, get outmaneuvered by some of the players who are business as usual and who understand, uh, you know, how the rules of the legislature work. The minority for the most part is, has very little power. This has to be a majority. We have got to make some of these changes to get more people in there so that there's no question of, is this going to be a coalition majority? I mean, that should not even be a question at this point. 
no, it should have never been a question before. But then you have people like Merrick that just flip a switch and sell their soul to the other side. And the next thing you know, you're like, here we go again, you know. Um, so it it is about the majority. It is about majority control and enough of a majority that you can solidly come in with a plan. You know, I mean, you have a majority like we had in, in the Senate for the last two years, not much of a majority. I mean, we were split half and half, but, you know, you had, you know, some of the same old guard in there on the finance table. The finance table looked exactly like it did the last, the previous two years, right? right? No different. Um, exact same players. And you think you're going to get a different result? You put some of those exact same players back in charge that have been there the longest, and you think you're going to get a different result? I mean, you know, and then you have, you know, people in leadership and you're looking at them going, well, promises were made. Well, yeah, but it's always the yeah, but Mike, it's always the well, we're going to, you know, I'm not going to pull the football out this time. And then it happens again. And I, so that's why I can't predict. That's why I'm not going to predict how it's going to go out because I honestly don't know. I don't know if somebody's going to come in and go, yeah, 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 we're good. We're solid through the campaign and get there and go, well, you know, but for my district, I really need to X, Y, Z. Like, we go again. It's why I push the Constitutional Convention so hard. It's a chance to actually shake things up and make it different. And the legislature is not reliable. People are not reliable. So they may throw us under the bus again. And then say, well, I got two years to, you know, to explain to my people why, you know, the, well, the one, you know, legislator from Fairbanks said, I got three years to apologize to the people before I run again. So I should be fine. Holy cow, Batman. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, again, that is, you know, it, it it has been proven time and time and time again that uh, the electorate has a very short memory. They they do forget those things. They're not doing that, uh, that, uh, that strategy because it doesn't work. Unfortunately, it does work because people forget because most people are not super voters. Most people are not... Uh, you know, most people are not into uh, into that discussion. Uh, Even the super attention to everything. They may be super voters, but they're not necessarily researched into every candidate and every decision. Most people still will show up on election day on the go. What's before their name? Is it an R, a D, an I, or whatever? And that's still how they'll vote. I mean, yeah. when I campaigned in 2018, I got that. Oh, I'd be like, hey, I'm Mike Shower. They're like, you know, we don't know anything about you. What's Are you a Republican? Yes. Okay, we're good. That's all I need to know. Okay, fine. <laughs> do you you know? do, wait, <laughs> should you see the nuances of my position on this? No? Okay, yeah. Because there are, as we've seen in the, in the past few years, there are different flavors of Republican at this point, for sure. All right, we're 25 seconds out, or 10 seconds out. There we go. There's a big difference between 10 and 25. Here we go, the Michael Duke Show, Common Sense, Liberty-based, free-thinking radio. Share the show. Like this video. All right, we're continuing now. Normally, this is the segment reserved for Chris' story, but uh, Chris has kindly begged off for me because I had some last-minute juggling. Chris will be joining us tomorrow um, in the last segment of the show tomorrow for Wednesday. Meanwhile, our normal Wednesday guest, Mike Shower, is filling in for Chris. So, Mike, we fully expect you to give us a positivity update and a life coaching lesson right now. That's what we're... 
you guys are switching hats. Tomorrow, Chris is going to do nothing but talk about state politics. So I'm just, I'm kidding. I'm totally, I don't think we could do that right now. Um, all right. So Mike, um, you know, we got, uh, we got the remainder of the hour here. Um, and we, again, we've just been talking about what we can expect in the changing of the players. Your, and, and we talked about this a little bit last time you were on the program two weeks ago, um, when, you know, your fear is that we could end up with a coalition majority simply based on the fact that we're sending some of the same player. I mean, Bert Stedman is, uh, he's got a challenger, but I don't know if that's, I don't know if that's going to happen. I don't know if, if, if Mike Sheldon is going to get enough support to do that. So we're sending back some of these same players, you know, we've got, uh, 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 Gary Stevens and, and the click bishops. We know Natasha's gone, but who replaces her, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. The, the bottom line is, is that the business as usual crowd is definitely more willing to go across the aisle and shake hands with the devil and create a coalition majority than most of the conservative Republicans in the Senate. So your biggest fear at this point is that we end up with a coalition majority in the Senate and the House. Is that is that truly your nightmare scenario? Give me your thoughts. Yeah, it is. I mean, I actually believe, I mean, it's, it's all going to depend on ranked choice voting and Scott Kendall's gift to Alaskans. <laughs> the gift, the, uh, the gift wonderful the, ranked choice. Oh, uh, it's it's like the it's like chlamydia, the gift that just keeps on giving. I mean, that's exactly what it is. Yeah, that, that, you know, he's going to disenfranchise the votes of many black, brown, you know, uh, you know, uneducated, the senior citizens, elderly, because that's exactly what the national statistics say. But you know, beyond that point, you know that he's going to disenfranchise the votes of the very people that you know liberals uh, and you know a lot of Democrats say that they care about. Um, what you're going to end up with, uh, you know, is a issue because it is so hard to tell right now how these races are going to go. But all of that being said, if if the House, which looks like it has potential at least to be stronger, i.e. more Republicans and those that are willing to come together in a coalition and some of these that threw their you know, soul to the Democrats like Merrick did um, because she won't be going back to the House. So if you have somebody coming in, they're going, yep, going to stick with the Republicans. I see some like someone like Josiah probably coming in and being with the Republicans this time, you know, and so let's say you get 23, 24, 25 Republicans plus whoever's the independent, whatever, that has a majority then that's a pretty solid majority it doesn't depend on one or two members kind of you know doing their own thing um and voting opposite everybody else are still strong enough and i i predict that's probably a, a pretty likely scenario maybe the most likely which would mean the house is stronger and able to stand together than the senate would be this next time around and i say that because the the more conservative people you don't have to like everybody i know you know, always got somebody's gonna scream about something um but is has been getting stronger while the musk ox type or moderate Republicans have been getting weaker inside the Senate, right? It's the, the numbers started out, you know, five years ago was me, kind of when I first came in. Then Shelly Hughes at the end of that session 2018 joined me. Then it was two of us. You know, then the next year, you know, there was a few more than a few, you know, so it's been getting stronger and is likely to get even maybe a little stronger this time, but it's not 11. You know, so we're not necessarily looking to go into, you know, with 11 people on day one. It's possible we could get there. Um, but you know, probably not the most likely scenario. So just, I'm kind of talking my way through it with you as we're, you know, as I'm talking here, right. but I think that it is a very likely scenario that the, you know, three or so left older guard and moderate Republicans plus Hoffman, who always seems to jump in wherever the, you know, he can get the most power and control, um, is that 
they would very likely be looking for a way, depending on the election results, to form a Muscox caucus to guarantee they're in leadership and they have their hands on the power levers. And we might have a very strong Republican minority. <laughs> but right, right. I, I think it's very possible that you're going to look at a Senate that's going to look like the House of the last years. I'm not saying that's going to happen. I'm saying there is a, you know, a strong chance that's happening, plus the history behind it of those very members having already done this in the past. So um, I actually think it could be a stronger House and a weaker Senate. Uh, and if we were able to get a Republican governor back, um, again, back, thanks, uh, you know, for RCV and how that whole fiasco is going to play out. I um, mean, look what's going on with, the, you know, the congressional seat right now and all these things. We can talk about that in a minute. But, um, you know, that's going to depend because instead of having two solid houses and a governor, it's going to be back to, you know, two on one. Right. Then it'd be the house and the governor against the Senate. I, I don't know. Mike, we'll see. But I have concerns. I right. don't think enough strong Republicans that are not moderate are coming back to walk into on day one with a 11 person majority. I think it's going to be a tenuous negotiation. I think we're going to be just doing some of the stuff we did before. I just think our position is going to be stronger. You know, you got rid of more and probably have more stronger conservative Republicans more aligned with the party platform than we've had. But, you know, is it enough? Well, especially yeah, especially if you've got some of those key players who know the system, know how to work it, know how to do it, and are very invested in the business as usual. But Matt, and remember, remember, they're not coming from districts, Mike, that are very conservative. People can say that all they want, like you were ranting about, you know, twenty minutes ago. But remember, not everybody's coming from the Kenai Peninsula or the Matsu or East Fairbanks. Some of these are coming from districts that are very moderate. That's why they keep sending the same people back. So, you know, it's like, the, as the saying goes, Mike, life gives you, you lemons, make lemonade, right? right. Work with what you right. got. I can't just get in there and snap my fingers and get everybody jump to my tune because that's the Matsu is not every other part of Alaska. So right, this is, right. How you try to make it work? Well, Matt brings up an interesting point in the chat room as well, and I and, and you and I, I think, have talked about this on and off air. But he says caucus around policy, not around labels, which is kind of what you're talking about here. Policies that align, in this case, the business as usual crowd, the pro government policies. But there is a possibility that maybe even the conservative. Republicans in the Senate, I mean, you could have some players in there that would come and caucus. You might be able to create a coalition that is based specifically around enshrining the PFD and putting a spending cap in and doing some of these other things. I mean, there is still a possibility of that as well. I mean, the shoe could be on the other foot, so to speak. Oh, yeah, it could be. I'm not going to, you know, um, I'm not going to say that's not a possibility because, you know, you look at things like, you know, look at how the votes played out. On a lot of things um, on the budget and look how the votes played out on the PFD. Right. I mean, there's a couple of Democrats that really would like to see the PFD. It's important to them and their district and their people. And, you know, look at the fiscal policy working group. Mike, that was seven of the 12 players are Democrats. Right? Yeah. Only five of us were Republicans. Yeah. And yet we still agreed to things that were very uncomfortable or things we didn't like on all sides. Everybody had to compromise some. Right. To get there. So, yeah, it's possible and it and Matt's not wrong. That is a better way to do it. Um, and it, we're supposed to do that, but it doesn't matter, Mike. And here's what I say it doesn't matter. It goes back to all the yeah, 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 kumbaya, we're all friends, election, right. all happy, happy, high five, and everybody's good to go. 
until we get there. Right. And then they, they make promises. No, leadership not going to happen this time. I got levers of power. I'm going to pull, <laughs> you know, that, that finance coach here is not going to run the table this two years. And then you get down there. Well, you know, really can't do it. Well, that, that's too hard. No, it's not going to, you know, well, no, we're never going to meet. And discuss well, it, no. So the you worst, know, I don't know, Mike, the worst know. part is, is that like you said earlier, I mean, if you do something, everybody's going to be mad. Your people are going to be mad. Their people are going to be mad. Everybody's going to be mad. If for some reason you were able to form a caucus, a PFD caucus, let's say, a pro-PFD caucus, uh, then you'd get lambasted by other people for even deigning to talk with Democrats over this, even though the outcome of what they're trying to do is in everybody's interest, and they probably even would support it. They get so ideologically you know, rigid and bound that, oh, no, you couldn't possibly work with the Democrats or create a caucus of Democrats, even though it's on the PA. No, no, no. You must be a rhino. You must be uh, some kind of Marxist because now you'll work. It's, it's so self-defeating. It's just so frustrating. Well, look at that about election integrity, Mike. I mean, let's talk about that. I mean, I was all these bad names for four years from the left and from, you know, these different groups because I was working on election integrity. And it's just a it's a racist thing. And you're trying to put down people. No, I'm not. You know, there's plenty of evidence. Look at 2000 mules just came out talking about all these people all over this, the country that put in thousands of ballots. I mean, there's all kinds of issues and data to show that we've got problems. Right. I've never said because I don't know 100 percent myself if a state was thrown or not. I just know there's enough evidence out there, enough smoke to go, yep, we got to do it better. And we have been hacked. And Alaska had a you know front row seat in that HBO special, right, Kill Chain, um, about what happened. And we were hacked in 2016. The hackers on the movie talking about Alaska and how he had backdoor access. So we know we have to do it better. But my point is, is that there was a Democrat bill and a Republican bill. Who's the only Republican that had the bill? Me, right? And you know, I right. ask again, how many Republican co-sponsors did I have? Our cross sponsors on that bill zero the entire time, Mike. All it for a lot of Republicans, all the concerns very important, very important election integrity. Well, where were the co sponsors? Where were the people helping get me that make it moved? I didn't see anything out of leadership, I had no co sponsors, but yeah, that's really important. So, what did I do? I reached across the aisle to a Democrat, Mike, and I had Chris Tuck. You know, I wish you know, in one way, was coming back over Josephson for sure, but oh well, he's not gonna. But Chris worked with me. And we took all the tenants we could agree on that were important stuff, and we got rid of the chaff on the outside that neither side was going to agree to, which means it wouldn't pass the other body. But we were within 20 minutes of passing some of those significant sections about voter roll cleanup and automatic registration and these other things, and you know we couldn't get it back in time. Right. You know that version that within that last 24 hours. So sometimes, like you're saying. You have to work with the other side if you're going to move anything, because I've got, you know, an opponent, you know, opponents out there going, he hasn't, I haven't seen anything out of Shower's office. You know, I'm like, that's because I'm not trying to name bridges, brother. I'm not taking the easy task. You know, as JFK said, we choose to go to the moon, not because it is easy, but because it is hard. I've taken on the tough task because nobody else or very few are even trying. I'm trying for election reform. Oh, watch what happens to your name when you do that. I'm trying judicial reform. <laughs> I've got the entire judicial branch pissed off at me because I'm right. trying to make it better. I'm taking on the tough stuff. Right. <clears throat> so, yeah, the tough stuff is hard to pass. Look at Machiki. To give him credit, that was alcohol bill. I think he worked in it for nine years. So don't give me that. I haven't seen anything. If your metric for how well you're going to do as a legislator is how many bills you pass, well, then Gary Stevens is the best legislator ever. Because I think he passed 10 bills. 
they were all like a board extension or a, you know, a date extension or naming something, but yeah, well, you know, if your metric is how many bills you pass, then yay you, you know, right. That's exactly. not how it works, Mike. That's not what's important. What's important is substantive things. Yeah. Fiscal policy. That's going to help us out. Election integrity. That's going to make sure our system is tight. Judicial reform. So we have judges that are constitutionalist judges, not judges that, you know, are activists from the bench. There are things that need to happen that are important, but you're not necessarily going to do them by yourself. And you're not necessarily going to do them within your own coalition of Republicans because you're going to need some Democrat support on certain things if you're going to move anything based on the body and how it's made up. So, you know, there's a little rant for you for a second, man. <laughs> I like that. Mike Shower, <laughs> our <laughs> Mike. Mike Shower, our guest. Uh, we are coming up on the uh, coming up on the break. All right, I'm gonna, I'm gonna put him. I'm gonna park him in the hangar here. We're gonna let him out here in just a minute. We're gonna continue it in a moment. We're gonna talk more about uh, ballot measure two and uh, maybe the uh, the House special races and what's going on now. We'll get his take on that and then anything else he wants to talk about. We're just gonna let him off the leash. Ooh, get ready. Dozers on the way. The Michael Duke Show, Common Sense, Liberty Base, Free Thinking Radio. If you missed the show, you can listen to it on your time with Dukes On Demand. Oh, and it's free. Like America used to be. Streaming live every weekday morning on Facebook Live and MichaelDukesShow.com. Okay, in the break, uh, Mike Shower is our guest. Ranting has become an art form, says Robbie. Yes, and, and we have a Picasso right here uh, with us, uh, joining us on the phone right now. Uh, Mike Shower. Uh, I mean, I love me a good rant every now and then. Uh, it does feel good to get some of that stuff off your chest and, uh, and talk about it. Um, all right, Mike, we're going to... Uh, uh, we're going to... Uh, dive into the national elections and ballot measure number two anything else you want to try and get in in this last segment before we uh before we quit it for the day well i think one of the things we should talk about or i'm going to talk about a little bit is that you know sb21 you know one of the issues mike people bring up is like oh the pomv you know sb26 and we've got to live within the five percent and we got to worry from you know, that some of these supposed fiscal people that say of how conservative they are fiscally at least like in the arguments over the last couple of years just a few months ago on the floor oh it's all about the uh you know pomv we got to live within that to protect the fund i'm like actually if you know people for all of your wisdom on fiscal policy the statutory formula guarantees we can never pull the fund down and kill it. Why? Because it goes up and down with how the fund performs. Your POMV would pull money out of it every year, even if the market's performing poorly. Right. Even if it so, tanks. Right. Because perhaps. the because the stat. Well, I want to explain because because the statutory formula is based on a five-year rolling average. So if it's poor years, that amount goes down that's the whole point i mean we remember those yeah. years in 2007 2008 we remember the next three or four years because i mean the pfd was super low because it had those very bad years in it and then on that fifth year all of a sudden it leaped back up again it was a mechanism to help control that perhaps the right answer mike is we just repeal sb21 and that stupid pomv formula that actually has sb26 about our SB 26, yep. that's the oil tax. I got it. Thank you. Um, but perhaps we repeal the POMV and let's go back to the statutory formula um, and let it do its thing. 
and protect the fund that way because you still get money from government or for government, right? You're still going to have the, the earnings. In a way, it kind of was a 50-50, kind of, not exactly, but right. you know the, that money was always there. But typically in the past, it was put away back in the principal, you know, whatever. Maybe that's the best answer, Mike, is to protect the fund that way, keep the statutory formula, um, and let's move on to that broader discussion of, oh, now you're going to have to see what happens with the oil companies and that uh, permanent fund is not paying for this government you've let grow so big. You're going to have one heck of a discussion then about you know reductions in spending or right. taxes because that's a whole different story, my friend. When that comes out, well, all of a sudden they can't take it all for government. Let's Ooh. let's let's talk about that then because I mean I think I mean this is I've been opposed to P to uh, SB twenty six since the very beginning. I still remember that first congratulatory back slapping selfie that the senators took with Machiki and Costello and uh, Liesl McGuire and I think Kathy. Ge- I mean there was a handful of them in there. They're like, oh look at the good job we did. We just did we put this POMV in place and at the time i said folks this is the beginning of the end right here uh this is going to affect us long term so i would really really uh love to i would really really love to to discuss a revocation of the pomv um i think it would i think it would solve a lot of problems it would solve a lot of problems it would also help put a limiter and a cap on government um uh, even without getting a a spending cap into the uh, into the the why? constitution. So I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna be the radio host for me. I'm gonna say that. So why why would that put um, pressure on the government to not spend? Like why would that happen if you repealed the POMV? Well, they would limit the draw. Well, I guess they could still do they could still draw whatever they wanted from the ERA. So I guess in a way it wouldn't uh, it wouldn't it wouldn't. I guess I guess you're right because it, it, they could still. I was thinking that if it, we took fifty and they were left with fifty, they'd be restricted. But they could still overdraw the PO the the uh, ERA with a. Well, with a supermajority vote, they could still do that. Uh, or no, I mean, excuse me, with a regular vote, they could still do that. So maybe it wouldn't. Maybe it wouldn't do that. Uh, so you're correct, but let me let me add a little fuel to that fire. Here's what's different to me about it: is that now, right, with the CBR being low and the ERA having that money in there, it's a simple majority to draw it, like you said. But guess what? If you draw that down at that point and you were back to a statutory formula. PFDs are going to be lower, right? Because they're going to go with the average and what's available. So be it. That's the check that people won't complain because they'll be, well, you're following the law. Good enough. They never have complained about that as long as we followed the law. But here's the difference. Now, to sustain the level of government spending that this state has grown to, you will not be able to do that anymore without probably a combination of both reductions in spending and taxation of various levels so all of a sudden mike that because if you can't pass a change to our current constitutional spending cap you're going to have real for the first time got real downward pressure right because legislators are going to have to be looking at people going i'm gonna have to dig into your wallet for a lot of money because i've allowed the government to grow so right. much right that we're gonna need you know ten thousand dollars per person in taxes every year and all of a sudden all of a sudden mike People might start getting involved in right. what happens. That, I hate to say it, oh, but that's the pressure. Hold, hold, hold the line. Hold the line. We're coming up on it. Uh, like and share this video. Like and follow the show page. About 80 people between the two platforms uh, say you are. Let's uh, Let's do it. Here we go.
Continuing now, Mike Schauer is our guest. Uh, just uh, finishing up one final segment. I want to get his take on uh, the ballot measure number two chicanery and now what we're seeing with this uh, <laughs> the withdrawal of uh, Al Gross from the race and everything else. His thoughts on that. And then I also want to talk about uh, his, uh, we just had a discussion during the break about the potential for the repeal of SB 26, which is the POMV formula. I want to talk about that as well. But first, let's get a hot take on um, this surprise that came out from yesterday out of nowhere, where the three number three contender, Al Gross, the biggest, uh, well, he's an independent, but a Democrat, progressive, liberal in the race and deciding to pull out out inside the 64-day window that would allow the fourth-place contender to move up, or the fifth-place contender to move up, rather, um, into fourth place. Mike, what 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 do you make of this? What do you make of this whole thing? Well, there's a lot of chicanery going on, my friend, as usual. Um, and I was fascinated by reading a must-read article last night by uh, Downing, and it talked about Scott Kendall the, the rumor on the street is and she's got some pretty good connections around the state politically is that Scott Kendall is the one that had some dirt dug up on Al Gross. And of course, Scott Kendall used to work for Murkowski. Ranked choice voting, no doubt, is a scheme meant to step around the primary because Murkowski wasn't going to get reelected if we had the, the previous system, you know, with primaries. And she wasn't going to and she didn't get the Republican nomination. So, you know, his name's tied in everywhere. You kind of look at something going on. He's got his little fingerprints on it. Right. And fascinating because it had a line in there. that said, you know, the rumor on the street is basically that Scott Kendall's the one doing this and threatening <laughs> right. Al Gross, blah, blah. And then she goes on to write, and I was threatened with a lawsuit. So, you know, she struck one line through that and said, therefore, I retract the statement and I issue an apology. I thought but the I line thought, is there with the you know, line through my I, that's brilliant. That's oh, I had to, I had to laugh. So I read that this morning in the first hour. I read that and I said, Well, that's really following the letter of the law without following the spirit. But I mean, I'm I'm all about it. Yeah, that's I mean pretty funny. That's exactly the kind of scanner he would pull too. But what's interesting, and here's the reason I say it, is who did Tara Sweeney work for? Who's she tied to? Lisa Murkowski, right. right? Who's Scott Kendall tied to with all this Lisa Murkowski? You start looking at the bigger picture, Mike, and connect the dots of who is working with who in the swamp, who's got the money, who's got the, the, the tags behind them and all the political connections to manipulate everything to the way they want it. And you start seeing that bigger picture. Right. The reason I say all of that is that would not be surprised for a, a moment. If they have dirt on Al Gross and they threatened him with exposure, blah, 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 and he, and he works his way out. What's fascinating is that, you know, now how do you play the law this time? What's Kevin Myers going to do as lieutenant governor? Right. If it says 64 days and it's inside 64 days, not supposed to happen. Right. Are they going to stand their ground on that one and go, that's what the law well, says? I mean, you know, Kendall's the one that wrote it. And so Keith Lee. fascinating to watch. Right. Well, it is. And because that, that's what I was trying to figure out. What's his angle? He supports Tara Sweeney. He's part of a Alaskans for Tara. He's, you know, he's, he's all part of that. And so I'm like, well, what's the benefit? If it's inside the window, the law clearly states that the fifth position can't move to the fourth. So now you just got three. But then Keith Lee brought up an interesting statement. He said, well, don't forget, you do have the opportunity to run a write-in campaign. And who really knows how to run a good write-in campaign and benefit from it? Murkowski's people. Remember that? So yes, does do. does Tara Sweeney down. does Tara Sweeney get a a writing campaign to be the I don't even know. I just it is fascinating to watch, but why? They, they could, but I will say this about that. The writing campaign on a RCV, ranked choice, is very different than what Murkowski did to buy a few thousand, you know, um, village votes 
you know, by getting some, you know, people to, to do that in, in, a, in a small block. With RCV, you know, on the on that one, you know, you're not going to get very many. And, you know, those votes would simply go to the next person when she fell out as number four, which would probably be Paltola, right? So you've got so many votes already with Begich and Palin that will probably put the other person down, you know, to, to give their second vote if they put more than one person. I don't see them overcoming that hump on this one. I'm just predicting. I have no idea. It's a very wild card in all of this. But I don't think the, the write-in campaign is something that could be strong enough or good enough um, to overcome the kind of numbers we're talking about with RCV. I actually think it strangely, ironically, but also hilariously that they shot themselves in the foot with their little scheme on this one because they didn't predict that this was going to be, done, you know, for Don Young. Right. This was all about, right. you know, Lisa Murkowski getting in and having a scheme and a plan and, right. and and their little game with this one. They were not prepared for this with Don Young. And I think this is this is them desperately behind closed doors, Mike, trying to find a way to manipulate the system to their advantage like they always do. I'm not sure they're going to be able to pull it off this time. Right. So, right. Uh, and plus, like I said, when you look at the combination of votes, Palin and Nate, uh, Palin and, and Begich have over 50 percent. Right, so, right. Um, yeah, there's just mathematically, it's going to be very difficult, even if it is just a three-way race with Peltola. Um, it's just mathematically, uh, I mean, Gross and Peltola together don't have enough votes to beat Palin, let alone baggage. Uh, you know, that's my point. Yeah, so, yeah, that's why so, I think this time, and, and, and a lot of people that would vote for Begich or Palin um, will probably put as a second vote the other one. They'll put Begich or Palin as a second because they don't want a Democrat like Poltola or uh, Gross. Or, you know, yeah, well, he says he's independent, he's not, he's, he's a Democrat. So, right. yeah, that's why I think this time they probably are just, they're probably upset it's happening this way and they're scrambling to find some loophole. But I'm looking at them going, you set this up, sucker. This one's on you. <laughs> so, right. You did it eat it this time you know for once once in a while it's nice to sit back and say yeah eat your crow pie this time you did it <laughs> you so. didn't you weren't able to move the chess pieces quite as fast as you thought you were able to yeah it's it's not this time yeah it's uh so. it's definitely interesting all right let's get into the final to segment or final thought for the day which we were just talking about during the break which is sb26 it has really been the bane and the and the genesis of a lot of the problems that we've had since 2014 2015 um, with the POMV, that is the SB 26 is the institution of the POMV draw out of the permanent fund. And there's always been this fight of, we don't want to overdraw. We don't want to do this. We don't, oh, it's in conflict with this other statute. And you just made a suggestion. Well, why don't we just revoke and repeal SB 26? Because the regular statutory dividend would protect a lot of that stuff. And it still makes sense. It still puts pressure on government. Give us your, give us your take on this. Yeah, Mike, I've been talking to people about it, a few legislators, too, and go, you know, I'm sick and tired of fighting the battle we're losing on this POMV thing. And they always talk about protecting the fund. Well, the POMV, which we've had acknowledged from them, from various legislators and the, the experts that they brought in talk about, well, the POMV could actually overdraw the fund, right? Because if you got to draw 4.75% or 5% every year and the market's performed poorly, well, you still got to draw that and give some to government and blah, 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 right? Well, that's going to be less pressure if you go back to the statutory formula because it goes up and down with that five-year trailing average. So if the fund is going downhill and performing poorly, the dividend is going to shrink. I.e., you're going to take less money. It's a way to actually protect the fund um, over time. You know, if it got real bad, you know, this this PFD is going to shrink real real low. And right. We've had that in the past, right? So. Right. Instead of this political fighting and something that actually experts have acknowledged can be dangerous to the fund, maybe we just go back to the old way of doing it. And the secondary part of it, of our discussion on the break, was that, well, if you really want to have discussion about downward pressure on the budget, let's go back to the statutory formula. And all of a sudden people go, OMG, 
oil is not paying for this anymore like they used to. And now we're back to the statutory formula and we don't have as much money to steal for the government as we've been doing with the, uh, you know, help of a a complicit court um, making the rulings. And you go, oh, my goodness, how are you going to pay for it now? Well, now you really are going to have a discussion with those legislators getting nervous about taxation and reductions to government spending because all of a sudden, Mike, people are going to be shocked at just how much was being paid for by OPM, other people's money, right. when the oil companies are not paying what they used to because there's not that much oil flowing through the pipeline like there used to be. And you can't just take it all for government from the POMV like these uh, folks have been doing for the last seven years and stealing it you know, for the government away from people just to prevent from taxation or to give it to their you know, big unions or whatever is right you repeal the POMV and go back to the statutory formula as it has been and get rid of that law and we go back to the way we used to have to budget well guess what mike if you want to start drawing down the fund now you really are doing it because the cbr has been taken down to nothing by those very people that most of whom are gone now they voted to take the cbr so we had 16 17 billion it's gone now all you have left is the simple majority on the era right but you take the era down to nothing you want to have a conversation about the size of this government? <laughs> you go to nothing left than <clears throat> the principal, Mike, with what's, I mean, what are you going to do then? Right. Right. It's real pressure because you actually have to make a decision at that point. There's no more kicking the can down the road. We've kicked it down the road for years now. That is effectively making the hard decision. That's effectively starving the beast at that point because there are no more correct. pots of money to draw from. So now that's, you have to face the music. You got it. Yeah, and I don't know at this point, Mike, besides a constitutional convention, what other mechanism to do that to force these few old guard people that are still around playing these games to have to make those hard decisions because yeah. they've been weaseling out of it every single year. Quickly, give, year. quickly give me an over and under on that. What do you think the possibility of repealing it quickly? Pretty, pretty. Uh, it would be slim, I think, to do that. But it's, it would be an interesting, be an dis- interesting exercise. Oh, it would be an interesting discussion, that's for sure. Mike Shower, oh, our you g- might see me file it if I go back. So. Mm. <laughs> Mike Shower, uh, GOP senator, State District E, also candidate for O, I think now. Uh, yeah, Oscar. Mike, yeah. thanks for uh, coming on board. Hold the line for a second, folks. We're out of time. We will see you tomorrow. Chris Story and more guests. Be kind, love one another. The Michael Duke Show, Common Sense Radio. Man, could you imagine the heads it would be spinning in the legislature if that thing actually got uh, if you if you put that bill in and it actually started getting some uh, some some committees and some traction and some open discussion? Man, some heads would spin at that point. It would be like The Exorcist all over again, pea soup everywhere. No, oh, there would be some definite uh, head spinning going on. There's no doubt about that. But you know, Mike, I mean, we. I'm, I'm continue, you can see what I'm doing here. I continue to throw mud at the wall trying to find the solutions. You and I have been talking about this for years. I'm interested in solutions. I'm not interested in playing this political game, which a lot of them, it's like a game to them. They want to play this for as many decades as they can sit down there in Juno and play the game. I want to solve this. I want to go back to work at my other job. I want to go home, back to my family, and I want to put this state on a solid fiscal path moving forward. It's why I was part of the fiscal policy working group. It's why I suggested things like, well, let's repeal SB 26, the POMV. Let's go back to the way it was and have a real discussion about the budget. I want to solve these things. And that's why I'm like the Constitutional Convention. I know it's not the best idea. You know, you and I have discussed this. You've come around to it. You had a lot of concerns, too. So did I. It took me a year to get to the point where I said that's the only answer. The reason is 
is because I'm searching for something that's going to allow us to solve our problems long term. Right. And every time we get close to something, a couple of these old guard come in and cut us out at the knees. <laughs> right, exactly. With some some maneuver. And I'm tired of it. And I want to find a way to solve it. Well, maybe that's a good pressure point, Mike. Try that too. Like I said, I'll keep throwing mud at the wall until we find something that sticks. I love it. It's going to make it work. I love it. Mike Shower, thank you, my friend, for coming on board this morning and being understanding of my ineptitude. I appreciate that. It's, <laughs> this is what happens when I'm doing 13 things and somebody sends me a message. I'm like, oh, yeah, right, exactly. No, that was not that was not the correct answer. Thank you, Mike. I appreciate it. We'll talk to you maybe next week. I believe I'm free next Wednesday, so let's plan on the normal time so we don't put any pressure on you to have to remember some alternatives. Man, I, if I didn't have my name written on my driver's license, I wouldn't remember <laughs> it half the time. Thank you, my friend. It's good to see you. We will uh, talk with you soon. All right, brother. Take care. We'll see you. Folks, we're out of time. The Michael Duke Show, Common Sense Radio. terrestrial radio skin and now we are slimy lizard internet people it's the michael duke show